for those few of you who are a bit more observant, I acknowledge that the title on the sign out front doesn't match the title in your bulletin, which is what happens when the preacher changes her mind on Thursday. Would you pray with me? God of grace, let the words that are spoken and the words that are heard be blessed by you, the living word. Amen. We are in the season of Easter, the season of new life. I often look to the earth for symbols of new life that express the hope of the Easter season. There are so many natural processes of regeneration and renewal that show over and over again how new life emerges out of death and decay. The Easter season lasts seven weeks, and it is a fitting time for us in the church to look for signs of new life. The scripture we heard this morning says that Christ was freed from death, that he could not be held in its power. And while we hear this as words about Jesus Christ, we also hear it as God's promise to us about our lives and about our world. This week we have also celebrated Earth Day. So my mind is on both the ongoing damage we humans do to the Earth and the efforts people are making to care for the Earth. I love to go out to oceans or mountains or forest. These spaces make it so easy to feel God's Spirit. But I actually have a particular soft spot for those places where urban environments intersect with the natural world. One of my favorite places I've been kayaking is right by the Oakland airport, where the birds and the water and the wetlands plants are juxtaposed directly with the airport itself and those other signs of urban industry. There's something magical to me about that. Detroit might seem like an unlikely place to find inspiring hope for environmental progress and renewal of the natural environment. Last year, Detroit famously became the largest city in the country to declare bankruptcy, and in the news much has been made of their consideration of selling off the great works of art from the Detroit Institute of Art in an effort to pay part of the city's debts. An article in the New York Times called Detroit the country's most startling example of modern urban collapse. In 1950, at the height of the auto industry, the population of Detroit was almost 2 million people. In 2010, the population was just over 700,000. Detroit is a large city covering 139 square miles, and the city is now trying to maintain itself with less than half the revenue-generating population it once had. Detroit is home now to tens of thousands of abandoned and dilapidated buildings and vacant lots. Estimates range from 78,000 all the way to 90,000 vacant buildings in Detroit and more than 20% of lots in the city vacant. City officials estimate that nearly half of Detroit's 88,000 streetlights are broken. You can find story after story of people living in a lone inhabited house on a block where all the other houses have been abandoned, often in a block where those streetlights are out and there's no light at night. 
Crime is a constant problem. Many Detroiters say they feel obliged to keep weapons. Last year, the city reported that the average response time to a 911 call was 58 minutes. The presence of racial animosity in the city was highlighted last week by a particularly sad story of a beating. It may be difficult to see where the hope is in a city in the state Detroit is in. The problems of Detroit are very real and very discouraging, so I don't want to romanticize the good things that are happening in Detroit. But a true Easter story comes out of suffering. We often can forget the suffering that was part of Jesus' journey. We don't dwell on it, especially in a progressive church where theologically we see Christ's suffering as the inevitable result of his faithfully working with the poor and siding with the outcast in the face of an oppressive system. And we don't hold a theology that emphasizes Christ's bloodshed for us. But Jesus did suffer, especially through the time of his arrest and execution. And Easter isn't just a story that tells us that happy things happen. The good news of the resurrection is that suffering and death do not have the last word. That suffering and death do give way to new life. Maybe suffering and death give way to new life even in Detroit. The problems of Detroit are very real. But to hear Grace Lee Boggs talk about Detroit, you would think resurrection is happening. Grace Lee Boggs lives in Detroit, right in the middle of Detroit's blocks of abandoned buildings and repossessed homes. She has lived there for over 60 years. At age 98 now, she is a lifelong activist and community organizer. She talks about what she sees happening in Detroit today, and she says, There is something about people beginning to seek solutions by doing things for themselves, that we have that capacity to create the world anew. Grace's parents came to the U.S. from China. She was born in 1915 above the restaurant where her family worked. Among her many, many accomplishments, she got her Ph.D. in philosophy in 1940. Barriers to women in academia in the 1940s led her to take a low-wage low job working in the philosophy library at the University of Chicago. Her low wages meant that the apartment she could afford was infested with rats, so she got involved in tenants' rights activism. In Chicago at that time, that connected her with the African-American community. She moved to New York for a while to connect with a community of organizers there. Then in 1953, Grace Lee met Jimmy Boggs. Jimmy was an African-American auto worker and labor organizer in Detroit, perhaps best known for his book titled The American Revolution, Pages from a Negro Worker's Notebook. Grace married Jimmy and moved to Detroit that same year. Jimmy grew up in Marion Junction, Alabama. As an eight-year-old, he was the only person in his family who could read, so he did all, read and write, so he did all the letter writing for his family. Grace says that what she learned from her husband and from the experience of people like him who grew up poor and black in the South is that you have to make a way 
out of no way. Easter also is a story of a way out of no way. Grace believes that it is roots in a similar experience that can be credited with the greening of Detroit today. Grace looks at Detroit and sees how the city has gone from booming to being pockmarked with vacant lots. And she says, what happened was that the African-American elders who had been raised in the South looked at those lots and saw not blight, but promise. They saw an opportunity to grow food for themselves as a community. And they also saw an opportunity to help young people think of change and development in a slower way rather than looking for a quick fix. So out of the negative came this enormous positive of the urban agricultural movement, and that's what you see in Detroit every day. You can see the possibility of moving forward, making a little leap. Here's part of what Grace sees in Detroit. Detroit today is home to an estimated 1,600 urban agriculture projects, projects where neighborhoods and communities have come together to transform vacant land into food-producing land. There are even full-scale urban farms taking root in the city. There are the Recovery Park Greenhouses, a project sponsored by an addiction recovery agency. Recovery Park aims to produce a high quality of vegetables for the city and contribute to the recovery of the city, while also providing jobs for people like recovering addicts who experience barriers to employment. There is the Hance Project, which is beginning by planting a woods right in the middle of the city, and which hopes to progress to a nursery business and perhaps the possibility of commercial agriculture. There is the story of Gloria Lowe, the founder of an organization called We Want Green Too. Gloria was a line inspector with the Ford Motor Company when a door fell on her head, leaving her with a brain injury. She went to work for a law firm that worked with d disabled veterans, many of whom have also suffered brain injuries. In the course of working with vets to obtain their benefits, she talked to them. They were so down. Then, beginning with her own home, she found a way to match vets with the great need to rehab deteriorating homes in Detroit. Out of that work, We Want Green Too was born. We Want Green Too is an organization that puts veterans to work rehabbing and retrofitting homes with an emphasis on sustainability and energy efficiency. In part, this also then allows low-income residents to save enormous money on their utility bills, particularly in those cold Detroit winters. Lowe describes the project as doing green on a shoestring, the men who do the work gain a sense of accomplishment and a sense of their own ability. The project has lost some of their participants because they went on to get jobs. There is also Tyree Guyton, an artist who sees his decaying neighborhood as a blank canvas. He has created the Heidelberg Project, where he has transformed empty homes and lots into what he sees as an art installation. He articulates the values and the message behind each piece of art in this neighborhood installation, each decorated empty house. And the project draws an estimated 270,000 visitors each year. There is Food Lab, 
an organization of food processing, retail, and distribution businesses in Detroit who share a vision for a more healthy, fair, and green food economy for the region. There is Write a House, a new nonprofit that creates local jobs rehabbing homes. The homes are then awarded for free to writers who are selected through a very competitive application process. The writer receives a free home, pays certain maintenance costs, and the idea is to attract creative talent and, as importantly, permanent residents into the city. The city itself is aggressively foreclosing abandoned homes. The ones that can be salvaged are auctioned off at extremely low prices to homeowners who enter a contractual agreement to bring the house up to code and to live there. Beyond anecdote, there's some statistically documented good news out of Detroit. From 2012 to 2013, the city saw a 28% decrease in property crimes and a 15% drop in violent crime. These are just a handful of examples of the vibrant new life that is coming out in the city of Detroit. Detroit is particularly interesting to watch, again, having been called the country's most startling example of modern urban collapse. The sheer number of hopeful and innovative projects in Detroit is impressive. But there are examples closer to home of similar projects representing similar hopes, whether in Richmond or in the Oak Park neighborhood of Sacramento. And many of the signs of hope in depressed urban areas are projects connecting urban people in an urban environment to the earth. Grace Lee Boggs and a whole community of activists and organizers believe fervently in the new life they see in one of the most depressed and depressing cities in America. To quote her again, there is something about people beginning to seek solutions by doing things for themselves that we have that capacity to create the world anew. The new life of Easter is powerful because it grows out of suffering and death. In our world today, surely we can be discouraged about the suffering and death we see. But the new life emerging is also very, very real, even in those places where we might think there is little reason for hope. As Grace Leboggs says, we have that capacity to create the world anew. May we open our eyes to the new life emerging around us. May all that we do nurture Easter life in our world. Amen. <laughs>